Good morning. One of the things I love to do is to share stories. And I'm going to start off today with another story, man. My life is one big story right now, man. So I'm going back to now when I was like 10 years old, 11 years old, and a friend of mine, we're out back playing football. It had just snowed, so there's snow all over the ground. We're playing football, and, uh, and we start hearing these fire engines. And it's like getting louder and louder, and it's getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden, we look over, and we see all this black smoke billowing in the air. So we're like, whoa. So we, we run around front, go around the corner, and we check it out, and this house is on fire. Like, just, just fire pouring from this house. So I run back home, and I come into my house, and like the way our house is, you get into the landing, and you go up the steps, and like the, the dining room, the living room's over there. So I get into the house, and I look over, and I see my mom sitting at the dining room table, and I'm like, out of breath, I'm like, Mom, you should see this house on fire. And then uh, as soon as I said that, I see this head pop from around the corner and say, well, whose house is it, honey? And I'm like, it's your house. And she was like, don't play with me. And I was like, no, really, it's your house. <laughs> and it was a friend of my mom's who was over visiting my mom and talking. And, uh, and her house was on fire. And so she ran on the steps. She didn't even get in her car. Her car was parked in the driveway. She ran out the house, ran down the street, and was like hopping over fences. We couldn't even keep up with her. And she had to be like at least in her 50s. And we couldn't even keep up with her at the time. So it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, sometimes in life, you have to share the hard truth with people. Right? You got to share the hard truth. And in the Christian life, for those who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, one of the hardest things that we will ever do is share the gospel. Why? Well, we're scared. We're afraid of people's reaction, right? Well, I may not know enough, or I may not tell. I might, what if I'm asked a question that I can't answer, you know? These are some of the things that, that go around in our mind as we think about sharing. You know, my wife and I, when we went to, uh, to Brazil on a mission trip, we hadn't been married yet, but we went to Brazil on a mission trip, and one of the things that they had us do was go door to door, knocking and sharing Jesus in Brazil. Right? It's already scary going door to door. Now you're going in a totally different country, in a foreign country, and you're going. And my wife at the time was a very new Christian. So you can imagine how excited she was to now have to go and to share. So she was like, don't leave me. And I was like, got it. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. So then uh, they split us into groups, and one of the groups didn't have enough people. So I was like, I'll go. <laughs> My wife to this day does not let me forget the fact that I left her, such a, a new Christian, to go now and go knocking on doors. So I'll always remember that. But there's something about sharing Jesus and sharing the gospel that's really hard to us. The question is, how do we share in today's environment when there's so many different choices and so many different things for people to choose from? We call it like a marketplace of ideas and a marketplace of different worldviews. And it's really, really hard. And what we're going to look at today is how Scripture shows us how we are called to go and to share with people. Because the Apostle Paul, he dealt with the same issues that we did. That's basically what history is, right? It's the same things happening. They just look different. 
But it's the same thing. So the Apostle Paul was dealing with the same things that we were dealing with today. But what I want you to see today from this scripture is this, that Paul, he makes known the one true God. What Paul is doing is making known to people in a world full of idols, the one true God. What my hope and prayer is from this scripture is this, that we would know for those who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we would know how to go and to share the gospel in a world full of idols. And if you are not somebody who knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what Paul is doing is he's sharing a message for you that you need to hear also. You guys, uh, we're going to look at Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. So Acts 17, verses 16 through 34, and I like to break it up. So I'm going to break it up between 16, verses 16 through 21. We're going to start off right there. So Acts 17, verses 16 through 21, and it says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also convened with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So where we pick up this story is the Apostle Paul has now been chased out of Thessalonica. One of the things that I love about the Apostle Paul, and if you could use today's lingo, is Paul goes with the flow. He always goes with the flow. You never see Paul complaining about where he is at the time. He realized that God is providential, that God is always in the midst of everything. So as he's chased out of one place, he's in another. And what he does, he says, well, make the best of where I am. This is where God has called me to be, and I will be obedient to God where he has placed me at the time. And you can imagine as Paul is walking down the street, what he sees is all these different statues of all these gods and goddesses along the street. And it says that his spirit was provoked. The Greek word is paroxino. It literally means to incite, to incite someone or to jab or to stimulate somebody. Think about like the Old Testament when Moses is on the mountain and he's meeting with God. And as he's doing that, the people are building a golden calf. And you see God's anger at that right there. It's like this anger and this, this provocation that is on behalf of jealousy for God. Because what's happening is as Paul's walking down the street, he's jealous for God. He's saying these people are worshiping these things that don't exist. And they're giving glory and honor to only that which should be going to God. That's what's provoking Paul right here. You know, you think about our country today. America, as, as technologically advanced as we are, because at that time, Athens was the cultural center of the world. America, as technologically advanced as we are, we have so many idols that pull our attention away from God that you see in our world today. The question is, do we even look like Paul? Because what Paul, what provokes him is the fact that he's looking 
And he's seeing all these idols in his life. He's seeing all these idols that are around him. Question, what provokes our spirit today? What is it that provokes your spirit as we live in this world and as we are looking every day around us? For me, and I was telling the last group, you know what really provokes my spirit? (laughs) What really provokes my spirit is when I see more and more our society moving away from God and moving away from truth. That provokes my spirit. You know what provokes my spirit? Is when people say that all beliefs are the same. That you have to be tolerant. It's this idea of tolerance. Tolerance is a wonderful thing. But tolerance is a code for you believe what I think and you tolerate what I think, but I may not necessarily give you the same and tolerate what you believe too. You see that. We went to Bali. My wife and I had an opportunity to go to Bali. It's in Indonesia, one of the largest Muslim countries in the world. And you can see as you walk and as you go into each of the storefronts, because Bali is a very um, Hindu society. And when you go outside every store and even in the stores, they have these little wicker baskets full of like flowers and incense that are burning. They're burning them to their gods. And you see the same thing. So the idols today, they can be belief in other gods. They can be belief in other things. We see it in, in money and in fame. These are all the different things that pull us away from the true God. So what you see in Paul's life is as he's looking and he's seeing these idols, he's provoked. Provoked to do what? Provoked to speak. Whenever he goes into a new town, he always goes to the synagogue. He speaks to the Jewish people first. And he speaks to them about the God of the covenant. And now he goes and he talks in the marketplace. It's like going into Willow Grove Mall. I'm just going to start talking to people about Christ. And now he's talking in the marketplace. And now as he's doing that, he begins having conversations with philosophers. Have you ever had a conversation with people who are philosophy majors? Right? You're like, they'll just spin your head in circles talking about all these different things. But he goes and he begins talking to people who are followers of philosophy. Right? Well, who? Well, the scripture says he talks to Epicureans. Well, who are Epicureans? Well, these are people who believe that everything exists from atoms. So when you die, you just disintegrate. That's right. Everything exists from atoms. Everything is from atoms. God is also made of, of matter, but he doesn't really, the gods don't really take an interest in your life. They're just made of matter. So it doesn't really matter. They don't, they don't care about worldly affairs. You don't need to fear them. You don't need to pray to them. Because they're not really involved. Now, he also speaks to a group called Stoics. Well, who are Stoics? Well, what they believe is that man is part of nature. That when you die, that your soul leaves your body and now becomes part of this world soul. And the funny thing is, it's very familiar to some of the things that you see today. And some of the beliefs that you see today. And as Paul goes and he begins to speak to people, people have different reactions. You know what they call him? They call him a babbler. And in the Greek, what they really mean is you're a peddler of all these different ideas. It's this idea of somebody picking up all like this trash and then sort of just bring it out there. So what they believe is, look, you're just getting all these ideas because you've heard them and now you're trying to put together these new divinities. Who are these divinities? Jesus and the resurrection. They're literally thinking that it's Jesus and then there's another God called the resurrection. Because in the Greek, the, the, the word for resurrection is female. So they're thinking, we don't know who this is that you're talking about or who are these people that you're talking about. But there was something about which 
Paul said that got him an invitation to the Areopagus. You may have heard the term before. It's called Mars Hill. And Brian, if you can show the picture up there. This is where Paul was literally speaking, on Mars Hill, as he was going, and now he has an invitation to go and to speak to the people. They lusted after the latest and greatest. And now Paul has an invitation to go and to speak there. You notice how the doors are opening for Paul? Why? Because he's just being obedient to what God is calling him to do. Is the Spirit provoking you to jealousy for God? And the question is, where? Is it at your job? Is it at your home? Is it with your neighbors? Is it in the marketplace? Where is God provoking you? Where is the Spirit provoking you to jealousy for God that you go and speak? And now, also, if you are somebody who does not believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, or you have not received the gift of salvation, now you can begin to understand why we as Christians are not called to be silent. We're called to go out and to proclaim Jesus and to share Jesus. The question is, okay, I get it. I'm provoked. There's opportunities at my job. There's opportunities everywhere for me to speak. I don't know what to say. What do I say and where do I even begin? I'm glad you asked that question because if we look at Scripture, we see the same thing too. Let's look at verse 22 through 34. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, it is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that man, I'm sorry, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, Eropagite, and women named Damaris and others with them. So Paul now is standing on that rock, and he's now speaking to people. And he starts off by saying, People, I perceive that you are very religious, and I could see that you're very religious. But I'm making known to you the unknown God. You see, what Paul does is in, rather than jumping right into Scripture and right into the Bible, which people would not know, 
They had no familiarity with the scripture. He starts by talking about God. That's where he starts right there. And he talks to them about a knowledge of God's existence. And he acknowledges their acknowledgement that they are ignorant of who God is. They literally have all these different gods and goddesses lined up. And there's one that says to the unknown God. What they're saying is, well, in case we miss one, we've got all these gods. In case we miss one, this one says to the unknown God right here. And what he's saying is, that unknown God, I've come to make known to you here today. What the Apostle Paul does when he shares is he finds a point of connection. Point of connection. What is a point of connection? It's anything that serves as an entryway to, for us to begin to talk about God and about Jesus. You know, we've all experienced those in our lives. Sometimes the best times are like when you talk about tragedy and death. Those are opportunities to talk about God or it's stories about Jesus himself. You know, my old job, you guys know I was a sales trainer and um, I was talking to one of our sales managers doing a training one time and um, we had gotten a book as part of the sales organization to read. It was the five levels of leadership. And of course, um, me being the, uh, the Christian that I am, I was like, I'm not reading this secular book here. You know, I only read Christian books. But uh, the Spirit provoked me to read the book. So I read the book. And as I was reading it, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, this is actually a really good book. Now, the guy that wrote it is a guy named John Maxwell. I don't know if you guys have heard of John Maxwell before. I had never heard of him before. But he was a pastor. And he was writing about leadership. And he's really well known. He's, a, he's an excellent speaker. And he goes and he speaks to, to crowds all over the place about leadership. And what he talks about is servant leadership. In his book, he's talking about Jesus. When you read his book, you can see he's outlining a leader by the standards of who Jesus is. So I'm talking to this guy, and somehow we got into a conversation about it. And I said, I said to him, I said, you know who he's talking about, right? And he said, no. I said, he's describing Jesus in his life. He was like, really? I said, yeah. I said, that type of leadership is Jesus. And from there, we started a conversation talking about more and more. That was a point of connection right there. That was an opportunity to go and to speak. You see, that's the one thing that the Apostle Paul is really good at. He knows, and he can look at his audience and he knows where to connect and what to talk about. When he goes into the synagogue, he talks to the Jewish people about the God of the covenant because they understand that from the scriptures. But when he goes to Gentiles, he talks about the God of creation. And that's where he starts with the people right here. He starts with the God of creation. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't introduce a God and add to their marketplace of idols. He's like, let me tell you about the true God. You see, unlike Stoicism, what he's saying is God is not in everything, and everything is not God. No, God is separate from his creation, and he's transcendent over it. And unlike Epicureanism, he's like, God is not this remote, uninvolved God. No, God created everything. And God is engaged with his creatures. And he created one man and assigned all the nationalities and the places from that one man. And he's like, he's not that far from us. But the reason why there's a distance, and it seems like there's a distance, is because of sin. You see what he does? He begins talking about the God of creation. 
and he's specifically addressing their beliefs. And now he begins to slowly talk about the gospel. That's where he begins to share. That's another point of contact. That's another bridge, because in fact what he says is, your own poets, your own philosophers have said, for indeed in him we live and move and have our being, and we are his offspring. So if we are his offspring, then we shouldn't think that God is like gold or silver or anything formed by our imagination. And he begins to make the connection there. You know, the more I've learned in my life about different faiths and different religions, the more I begin to understand, even in a religion like Buddhism, which is really popular today, you see like Buddhism, Hinduism, a lot of those Eastern mythologies, they're really, really popular today. Why? Well, because in Buddhism, what it says is God is not a personal God. He's an impersonal. He's a life force, right? And then we use the word he. It's a, it's a life force. It's an impersonal God. The question is, well, how do we as personal, relational beings, right? We have needs. We relate to one another. We love. We suffer. We have pain, right? We have a need for forgiveness. How do you get those type of people from an impersonal life force? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And he begins to reorient them to who God is and now what is required. God is saying to them, you've been ignorant. And now the time is going to come when your ignorance is culpable. And that's what he begins to talk about. He says, God overlooked it in the past, but there is going to be a judgment. And he's going to judge everyone by the righteousness in Christ. How do we know this? Because he raised him from the dead. That's how we know. And now he shares the hard truth. Now he tells the people, your house is on fire. Your house is on fire. It's the hard truth that people need to hear. You know one thing, too? When Paul shares, he shares about Christ. And he shares about the true God. One of the things he doesn't do is he doesn't get into these, all these individual discussions to try to defeat every God that they believe. You know, when you look at federal agents today, one of the things that federal agents do is when they learn about counterfeit money, they don't try to go out and learn about each counterfeit. What they do is they learn the real thing really, really well so that when there is a counterfeit, they can identify it right away. My question to you this morning is, do you know the real thing? How well do you know the real thing so that when you see a counterfeit, you can spot it right away? And that's what he does. He shares Jesus. Now, of course, Paul, being the great man he was, got a really favorable response, right? People mocked him, right, about the resurrection of the dead. Some people wanted to hear more later, and some people actually joined him. You see how Paul shares the gospel? He's provoked in his spirit to speak. He finds a point of connection, and he speaks to people, and he begins sharing the gospel message, even if it means that he's ridiculed. You know where Paul went after Athens? He went to Corinth. And that's where that, that, that famous saying in 1 Corinthians that says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
but to those who are being saved. It is the power of God. You know, the guy from my job, the one I shared with, I actually bought him a Bible, and his brother wanted to join us too. And We set up every other Tuesday we were going to talk on the phone because he actually was in New York, and we were going to go through the book of John together. And the first week I called, there was no answer. Two weeks later, I called again, no answer. It never happened. But you know what? I was being obedient to what God called me to do. All I can do is share. And I understand that God is doing the work. There are many people today who believe in God, but they don't know him. They truly don't know him. And our society today will call you rude, they'll call you closed-minded, and they'll call you intolerant because you're sharing the truth. But we share from love. I'm sharing with you the truth because I'm sharing from love. And you know who this reminds me of? There's somebody else in Scripture that this reminds me of too. It's the pattern of somebody else's life. Somebody who was provoked by what he saw. Someone else who shows and points and speaks about the true God and finds points of connection. Somebody else who told people oftentimes what they didn't want to hear. And if he lived today, would have thought of it as being rude or closed-minded. Somebody else who told the truth that was driven by love. That's the life of Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was provoked by what he saw. That's why he had such anger at the Pharisees. That's why he went into the temple and turned over the tables. That's why Jesus got angry because he saw the lack of compassion for people. Jesus was provoked by what he saw. Jesus went and Jesus looked for points of contact. That's why when he goes to the woman at the well, she's coming with a bucket to get water, and what he connects with her with is, let me show you the living water. It was Jesus that told people not what they wanted to hear. Because it was Jesus that says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and those who do that will have everlasting life. And people turned away from him and said, this is a hard thing to believe. He was saying, if you believe in me, that's where you have everlasting life. And many people turned away from him. Jesus doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Jesus tells you what you need to hear. And that is the truth. And that is where Jesus ended up going to his own death. Jesus Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. There is coming a day when there is going to be a judgment. Every one of us will be judged. The question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the truth. And how do we know? Because God rose him from the dead. Jesus didn't die and rise spiritually because there's no way we could have proved it. Jesus died and rose bodily. The body rose. That's how we know that the resurrection is going to be. And that's how we know that we are going to be judged. What does this mean for us? Well, firstly, look for the spirits provoking in your life. Where is the spirit provoking you to speak? Where is the spirit provoking you for jealousy for God? And how do we know? Man, we read our Bibles, we pray, and I live every moment with Christ. 
And I allow him to guide and direct me because the Spirit is provoking me. And by the way, that's not just for pastors. That's for anybody who proclaims Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. This is what we're called to do and how we're called to live every single day. We look for the Spirit's provoking. The second one is I look for points of contact with people. They're there. And most of us can at least identify a time when something, some conversation comes up and the doorway begins to open where I can go and at least begin to share about God. I may not share the gospel right away and beat somebody over the head with it, but I can share with them God and realize I'm building and I can begin to share the gospel over time to a world that needs to hear it. I look for the spirits provoking. I look for points of contact and I share. And lastly, I share the gospel. I share the gospel and I don't worry about people's response because ultimately it's not up to me. When I realize that it's not my job to save the world, oh man, the weight that came off of my shoulders. It's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm just obedient to what he calls me to do every day. When you share, it makes people think. It makes them think. God allows us to join him in what he's doing. Man, it's a wonderful privilege that we have. Jesus' words himself, he said, my true food, you know what really motivates me, gets me going every day? Is to do the will of him who sent me. And he says, the harvest, it's plenty. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was making an exclusive claim he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And to share is not rude, that's love, when you're sharing with others. And if Christ is living in us, then we are called to be just like him. Let this be our calling card as Christians. And for those who don't know Christ, let this be an opportunity to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today.